thinking about change, you know, God has blessed Carolyn and myself with eight children who I love dearly, but <laughs> there's a lot of stuff that comes with eight children. Have you ever stopped? Did you ever stop to think about that? You don't. I don't want to scare you or anything, or put you into a state of shock or anything. But there's a lot of stuff that comes with eight kids. You have to have a lot of love, and there's a lot of love that goes on in our home. We're so thankful for our children. God has also blessed us in that each of our children has their own bicycle. Sometimes I have to remind myself that that is a blessing. God is very good. You know, I was thinking about that. God is very good to give us things that we don't necessarily need. My kids might say otherwise, Dad, I need a bike. But God gives us, can you identify with that? God gives us things that we don't necessarily need, but things that we might find some enjoyment in. Having said that, there's not much that's constructive that takes place in my garage when things are out of order. Every once in a while, I'll hear a out in the garage, you know, a crash, bang, boom, and it's like, what in the world? A couple of weeks this happened. A couple of weeks ago, this happened. I opened the door, and to my amazement, um, our youngest two, Josiah and Zachary, were trying to put the garage in order. <laughs> you know, those guys. And you should see the melee of bicycles when things get out of order. You know. Um, it was interesting, and they, I couldn't believe that they probably spent two or three hours trying to put the garage in order, and they did a really good job. I was surprised. Every once in a while, the garage, I'm sorry, but our garage, and I don't know about yours, but our garage gets to the point where I can't do anything productive out there. <laughs> because God is, I'm not complaining, God has blessed us with eight children, and each of those children has their own bicycle, and God has blessed me with a few tools, which I kind of know how to use. And so we put those things out there in that space, but sometimes things get so cluttered up. And sometimes we collect things. I should say I collect things. I, I think I'm a pack rat at heart. I've gotten better in the years, uh, just the last few years. Um, every time we've moved, and I hate moving. I'm not moving again, okay? But every time we've moved, just telling you, every time we've moved, it's like we have this mountain of stuff. We go, this is worthless. Why move this? And so we haul it off. We move it to the dump. You know, we move it somewhere else. I don't know where all that stuff, you know, God has blessed us. So that's where all that stuff comes from, Right? But sometimes those things break down and they're worthless. And I feel like, you know, I just hate to part with that. It'd be good if I just hang on to it for a while. Because at some point in the future, that might evolve into something else that's useful, you know? I know some of you can identify with that, right? So every once in a while, I get to the point where there's absolutely nothing good that's going to happen out here until I buckle down and get rid of the stuff that's broken and worthless. Until I put in order the things that are helpful and useful, and I make some sense of this nightmare I call a garage, you know. And when I finally do 
the hard work of cleaning. It's hard not so much because it's hard work, but it's hard to get rid of stuff, you know, that you think you might use in the future. But it is hard work at times, and I don't like to think about hard work too much. Do you? I don't even, sometimes when my garage gets completely junked up, I don't like thinking about the garage. I don't like going out there. I don't want to turn the light on out there. Here's another thing. I don't open the garage door because I don't want my neighbors to see my garage either. Okay, I don't want you driving by going, look at the pastor's garage. Oh, my word. So I don't open the door. But there comes a point when I have to. There comes a point when I've got to make some sense of the mess. When I've got to put things in order. And when I finally do the hard work of cleaning and organizing and decluttering and even taking some things that are completely worthless now because they're broken and beyond repair and getting rid of them. When I finally do that, we get the garage in a state where we can actually do something. Where we can actually go out and fix something that's repairable. Where we can actually go out and build something if we are so inclined, right? Where we can actually do something that's constructive in that space. Last week, we talked about the things that are pleasant. And we noted that God's children are to seek things above. Go to Colossians chapter 3 with me, would you please? Colossians chapter 3. We talked about the things that are pleasant, the things that we like to talk about. We talked about seeking things above. God's children ought to be people who seek things that are above. Because that's where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That's what we saw in the first few verses of Colossians 3 last time. Those are the things that we like to think about, aren't they? We like talking about pleasant things. It's like my garage, though. We don't like talking about things that are unpleasant. I don't like looking at my garage. I don't want to open the door. I don't want to think about it when things are in in disarray out there. But there are times when you have to get down to the nitty-gritty and get yourself dirty and do the hard work, right? It does please the Lord when we do the hard work that's necessary. There's some hard work for us to look at in the Scriptures this morning. I want you to go to verses 5 and 6 with me. You know, in contrast, when my garage is a mess, I I don't like going in there, and I don't like even opening the door, and I don't want my neighbors to see it, and I certainly don't like to think about my garage. But I must think about it. I must go out there. I must get myself dirty at times. I must spend some hours, sometimes a day, out there doing that work. Otherwise, nothing of value is going to happen in that space. It's true of our own lives at times. We've got to do the hard work. We've got to think about the things that aren't so enjoyable to think about. You know, as believers, we'd like to continually think happy thoughts and think about the pleasant things and to think heavenly thoughts and to set our minds on heavenly things, and that's a good thing. But we must also realize that with the ideal of thinking heavenly thoughts and having our minds fixed on heavenly things and not on earthly things, with the ideal of setting our minds on the heavenly, the things that are Christ-honoring and God-glorifying, with that ideal, we've got to put off and we've got to put to death some earthly things. Those earthly things in us that keep anything constructive from happening in the space of our lives. There are things that we have to talk about from time time to time that aren't pleasant, that aren't enjoyable. The passage before us is like that. 
With that thought in mind, I want you to go with me today, Colossians 3, verses 5 and 6. We're going to see that living the Christian life also means that we must deal with some things that we don't like to think about. We've got to get into the garage, so to speak, and get dirty before things get clean. Look at verses 5 and 6 with me, would you? Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. You know, part of seeking things above is the removal of the sin that junks up our life. You know? Part of seeking things above is the removal of the rubbish that ought not be there. Like cleaning out my garage, we need to We need to think about it, whether we like it or not. And it's hard work. And if we're going to set our minds on things above, we're going to have to get serious about putting to death the earthly in us. But we need to know this. I want you to be prepared ahead of time. I want you to know this, that the only reason we can put to death the earthly things in us that lead us to sin is because of the blood of Jesus Christ on our behalf. The blood of Jesus Christ paid the price. The power of the cross goes before us in helping us kill the things of this earth that reside within. You can't do this without the power of the Holy Spirit at work within you. You can't do this without the blood of Jesus Christ having been sacrificed for your sins. If we're going to set our minds on things above, we're going to have to get serious about putting to death the things that are in our lives that are displeasing to God and contrary to God's Word. This idea of putting to death the earthly things, it's a strong one here. That's why I appreciate the translation I'm using here. It says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. If you've got the King James Version, you'll see that it says, Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. That may or may not convey for us the serious nature of what Paul is saying here. depends on how you understand the language. But one commentator notes that it means to make dead. Okay? To make dead. He says it suggests that we are not simply to suppress or control evil acts and attitudes, We are to wipe them out completely, exterminate the old way of life. I want you to note, too, that Paul doesn't stop with a general admonition to put to death the earthly in you. It's not like I've told you before, my mom always would say when I would ask her what she wanted for Mother's Day. Just be good. (laughs) Say, Mom, please tell me something I can give you. Just be good. It's not like that general thing. Paul doesn't say to believers, just be good. He gets specific here. He names some names. I want you to note that Paul doesn't stop with that general admonition, you know, just be good. He says, you got to put to death the earthly in you, and here's what I'm talking about. Look at verse 5 again. He names names. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. 
First, Paul notes sexual immorality, and he includes impurity and passion and evil desire. I want you to know that these are all relating to sexual sin. And let me give you a word of caution here, because I think we're prone to do this from time to time. We might be prone to think like this, well, sexual immorality, of course, we shouldn't have anything to do with that. Okay, let's move on. What's next? But how many of God's servants have we seen fall over the years because this kind of sin has gone unchecked in the life of God's people? And you know, the individuals that we've seen fall because of this kind of sin going unchecked, those Satan likes to make the, the ones who are prominent fall and fall hard. And those are the only those are only the ones we know about. God's people, I have to stop right here and say about this kind of sin in our lives, God's people cannot afford to overlook the potential for sexual immorality in each one of us. Every one of us has the potential for this sin to be present. You know, in today's world, the potential is there for us to be exposed to to, to, to more sensuous images in the time frame of an evening of watching television than our ancestors ever dreamed of in their lifetime. You know, God's people have got to be discerning about what they look at. God's people have got to be discerning about what they put into their minds through the printed word. God's people have got to be discerning about how they use their internet connection. And because this kind of sin can go to great lengths in the mind of a believer, it can creep into the heart, and it can lead to actions. That's true of all sin. But God's children have got to be deadly serious about putting to death this sin of the flesh. Let's get serious about it. Let's not say, oh, yeah, of course, you know, we shouldn't have anything to do with that next, you know, because we're embarrassed to think about it and talk about it. We've got to guard our heart, don't we? Mark chapter 7, verses 21 through 23 says, For from within, out of the heart, of the heart of a man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, Murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. And verse 23 says, All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. People, we've got to guard our hearts. This sin, and all sin, first takes root in the heart. That's why we've got to root it out. That's why we've got to put sin to death. That's why we've got to put to death the earthly things in us that cause us to sin against God. You know, if we don't get serious about this and we we let these sins remain and we make light of them and we make room for our favorite sins, they will do great harm in our hearts. 
They will do great harm in our spiritual lives. And they'll do great harm to your effectiveness for the cause of Christ on planet Earth. And they'll lead to sinful actions. And even if they never lead to sinful actions, they defile us from within. Warren Wiersbe says that it is clear that desires lead to deeds, appetites lead to actions. If we would purify our actions, then we must first purify our minds and our hearts. You see, it starts, it must start with God's Word. To purify your heart and your mind so that your actions follow, you've got to get the right things in your, in your life. It starts with God's Word. It's, it's making God's Word a priority. We talked about this in our Sunday school hour this morning. Psalm 119, verses 9 and 11, we looked at this morning. Let me just read you, to you again, Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Is God's Word a priority for you? Is it a number one priority for you to get God's Word into your life so you can start living it out and obeying it and and rooting out the sin in your life and getting it out and expose it to the light of God's Word? Is that your desire? I hope it is. I pray that it is. I pray that you would pray for me that I would have that desire to so fill my heart and mind with God's Word, there's no room for an ungodly thought. Paul mentions next covetousness, which is idolatry. You know, covetousness is the sin of, of greed. And though, you know, we might look and say, well, I'm not greedy, I don't, you know, I'm not greedy. Covetousness is kind of that sin that, that gnaws at you. It's, the, it's that thing you struggle with that you just wish you had, so you'll do whatever it takes. You know, you'll work harder and longer and do you might even think about doing things that are not right to get that thing that you want. It's always it's always wanting more than what you have, never being satisfied with what God provides. Always wanting more is covetousness. Always grasping for more than what you have. And that is is making an idol of things. Think about what idolatry leads to. What does the sin of covetousness lead to? It can lead to many things. You know, if you're never satisfied with what you have, it can lead to lying, right? You might fudge those tax returns. You might lie on the job to get ahead. You might do all kinds of things that equate to lying. You might, you might take things that aren't yours. You might steal things. It could lead to theft. But I want you to note something else too. Have you ever stopped to realize that covetousness, being idolatry, can lead to the previous sins that Paul talks about here? It can lead to these earlier sins, sexual immorality. It can lead to the wrongful accumulation of things, but it can also 
lead to being caught up in the lust for and the satisfaction of your personal needs and your sensual needs and sexual immorality. You realize that covetousness and idolatry can lead to that? These things were, let me just tell you, that these things were not of Christ. They didn't have any part in Christ. These things were of no part of Christ. Jesus Christ came and lived sinlessly. And we have to realize that as believers, these these things should have no part of us as God's children, as a child of God, benefactors of the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. These things should have no part in us either. Because we've been raised with Christ. And our life is hidden with Christ in God. You see, it's because of the blood of Christ we can take on these kinds of sins that like to hang on and don't like to go very easily. And we can pull them up by the roots and throw them at the foot of the cross in the power of Jesus Christ. As we noted in verses 1 through 4 last week, a follower of Christ is to set his thinking on heavenly things. We're not to be so saturated with the earthly that we couldn't possibly live for Christ because we can't think about anything else. We need to saturate our hearts and minds with the heavenly things. Yes, we live on planet earth. You might be thinking, well, wait a minute, I have to go to work tomorrow. I have to deal with you know, earthly things every day. Yes, you and I both work in this world, right? And we're confronted with earthly things. But the Scriptures make it very clear that God's children are to be in the world, but the world's not to be in us. In the world, but not of the world. In the world, but not moved by the world, by the sensualities of this world, but moved by Christ and the power of Christ at work within us. Yes, we live on earth, and we've got to deal with these things on earth, like my garage. But we are not to have the things of earth in us, controlling us, keeping us from being Christ-like in the way that we live, in the way that we talk, in the way that we interact with our families and co-workers. We're not to have the things of earth that cause us to act unchrist-like in us, controlling us. In light of that thought, I want to mention three reasons for putting to death the earthly things this morning. Three reasons for putting to death the earthly things. The first one points back to our study last week. The believer should put to death the earthly things so that you can be heavenly minded. So that you can be heavenly minded. Colossians 3 verse 1, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. The believer should put to death the earthly things so that we can be eternally focused, eternity have an eternity perspective. You know, if you don't put to death the earthly things in you, you will not have your mind set on heavenly things, will you? You know, in the earthly things that are opposite to your identity in Christ, the earthly things will drag you away from Christ instead of toward Christ. 
Those things are opposite to your identity in Christ. The things of earth in you that are corrupt, they soil you from within. They ruin your heart and your mind for service to God. The things of earth in you that corrupt your heart and lead to sin are not of Christ. And what your neighbor, your unbelieving neighbor needs to see in you is that these things have no part in in the life of a believer in spite of what they see on TV from those who have fallen so publicly and harm the name of Christ. The believer should put to death the earthly things so that they can have a heavenly mindset, so that they can have an eternal perspective in the way that they live today. The believer should also put to death the earthly things to verify their faith. You ought to be putting to death the earthly things because it will be a verification that you are a child of God, to verify that you are Christ's child. Now, I don't, I'm not going to suggest that this is explicit here in this passage, but I do think it's implied here. Verse 1 says, If then you have been raised with Christ... If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the believer in Jesus Christ seeks things that are above. And here's how I believe that this is a verification of your faith. Your continual, ongoing submission to God and putting to death the things of earth that are in you that lead you to sin is a confirmation of your faith in Jesus Christ. I've heard, and you have too, people say before, maybe you've said this yourself, maybe you've thought this yourself, you know, I just struggle with this sin in my life. I struggle with this, and I can't seem to rid myself of it, and I, and I keep giving to the Lord, and I have periods of, of, of success, and then I have periods of failure. I just want to be done with this, and sometimes I just wonder, am I a Christian? Am I a believer? You know, I, what I often say when I hear that is that that desire to rid your life of that sin that you're struggling with is a fairly good indicator that you are a child of God. Because the person who is not a child of God does not have that notion within them. That's the power of the Holy Spirit at work within you reminding you, you need to flush this from your life. You need to get this junk out of your garage. I want you to know that you ought to be mindful about where you are with Christ. I would never want to... Assume that you are a follower of Jesus Christ just because you come to church or you say you are. You need to confess your sin to God. You need to believe in Jesus Christ and then you can begin living in the power of Christ at work within you. That struggle that goes on in you over sin in your life, it's not going to end on planet earth. I, I, I have to warn you about that. But you ought to be seeing some progress. You ought to be able to look at your life and say, yeah, I I believe I am growing in the Lord. I might struggle. I might still be working on things in my life that I need to confess and get right with the Lord, but but I am confessing them, and I'm diligently trying to turn from them. And they, they don't control me. So I say that those struggles are not an indicator that you're not a child of God. I say they're an indicator that you are a child of God, and yet Christ is at work in you. Let Christ work in you. Submit to His authority, the authority of His Word in your life. 
Submit to the work of the Holy Spirit in you to make you God's child, make you Christ-like in the way you think and act and live. I have to tell you that the person I'm concerned for is the one who says he's a believer and yet never sets about killing the things of, of this earth that are, that are working in him. That's the one I'm concerned deeply for is a person who says, well, I'm a believer, but you look at their life and you don't see the evidence because they're not putting to death the earthly. That person is likely not a believer. If you've been saved, you're going to be setting your mind on things above and you're going to be about killing the things of the earth in you that keep you sinning. And yes, it's going to take some effort. And yes, you're going to have to go get your hands dirty and you're going to have to put yourself in the Word constantly and you're going to have to go to the Lord in prayer. You're going to constantly have to submit yourself to His authority and ask God to help you with these things. But a believer should put to death the earthly things because it will help you confirm your faith in Jesus Christ. There's a third reason a believer should put to death the earthly things, and it's to avoid the wrath of God. To avoid God's wrath. Paul says in verse 6, On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. On account of the sin that's so rampant in this fallen world, the wrath of God is coming. You know, I think about the way my small children obey or disobey. But the way my small children obey, the the ones who are, you know, not quite to the maturity level to understand that God's word says, Obey your parents. I want to please God, so I'm going to obey my parents. You know, I, I hope and pray that my, my older children think that way. You know, I want to, God says obey. So whether I like it or not, I want to please God. I try to encourage them that you're not to please me so much as please God. I want you to please God with your life. But my small children, my smallest ones, don't have that mindset yet. You know why they obey me? Because they know the wrath of Dad is coming. You know? They know about the wrath of Dad. We are very serious. We say, look, you know, these things you cannot do. These things you cannot say. You know, when, when some, something comes out of your mouth that's inappropriate, there's going to be the consequences. It's not me doing this to you. It's you doing it to yourself. These are the natural consequences of your disobedience, okay? And my small children obey because they know about Dad's wrath, <laughs> Dad's discipline. And I discipline them because I love them. But God's children how to submit to His authority in their life, and how to put to death the earthly things to avoid God's wrath. As I begin to note here God's wrath, I want to be careful that you don't get the impression that God is all wrath, okay? Because sometimes you hear those who preach, you know, you, sometimes you call them hellfire and brimstone messages or preachers or whatever, You think God is all wrath. I don't want you to think God is all wrath. But you need to know that there is the wrath of God that we're going to face and deal with. You need to know that God is not all wrath, but yet God's wrath is real. I want my children to realize that. Dad's not all wrath. He can show me love and affection and kindness, but when I do things that are wrong, I find the wrath of Dad, you know. You know, the world without Christ is dying in their sins, and they're going to discover the wrath of God in a very real way. Hell is a real place. 
It's not a, a figment of our imagination. It's, it's a real place. There will be an accounting, and God's wrath will be evident then. And there's a day when that will be evident, but it ought to be evident to us today. It ought to be apparent to us from the Scriptures, from the testimony of God's Word, that God's wrath is real. I want you to listen to Genesis chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. A very clear picture of the wrath of God, isn't it? And God destroyed, you know the story, God destroyed the inhabitants of the earth with the flood. God's wrath is real. Having said that, I want you to know that God's mercy is real also. His mercy and grace is real. Noah's family escaped because of God's mercy and grace. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, says Genesis 6.8. I want you to know we're going to return to that thought tonight as we talk about God's mercy and grace. But I want to continue with this thought about God's wrath. I want you to remember, God's wrath is real. It ought to encourage you to live a Christ-like life because you realize that God's wrath is real. It ought to encourage you to live Christ-like because you need to witness to your lost neighbor, your lost coworker, because God's wrath is real. We also know from the book of Genesis that the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was very grave, says Genesis 18.20. And because of their sin, God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah and the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah. God's wrath is real. But so is His mercy and grace because Lot and his daughters escaped and survived because of God's mercy and God's grace. I want to give you one more illustration of God's wrath. I want you to think with me about the third example here this morning of God's wrath. It, it, it can be seen at the cross. God's wrath can be seen at the cross. Have you ever thought about that? Jesus Christ was not spared God's wrath at the cross. And you can thank God for that. The wrath of God was poured out on His own Son, Jesus Christ, at the cross because of my sins and because of your sins. But even in that, we see God's mercy and grace, don't we? Because of the cross of Christ, because Jesus Christ bore the punishment for our sins, we can freely enjoy God's mercy. We can freely enjoy God's grace through salvation. And I just have to stop right here and ask, have you experienced God's mercy and grace through salvation? Have you come to the point in your life when you realize, yes, I am a sinner and I need Jesus Christ and I can't do it myself. I confess, God, that I am a sinner and I believe in Jesus Christ. Please save me from my sins. Have you ever been there? Have you ever done that? Have you ever come to the point where you can begin experiencing God's grace and mercy personally? You know, if you're a follower of Christ, you ought to put to death the sins of the flesh. Those things that lead you, those things that are earthly, those things in you that lead you to sin against God and corrupt you from within. 
You ought to put them to death. You ought to get very serious about it. You ought to kill those things that are on the earth in you, those earthly things in you that lead you to sin against God because the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus Christ to pay the price for that sin. You see, the penalty has already been paid. The price has already been met. It's paid in full by Jesus Christ. You ought to seek to put to death the sins of this world that are in you, that dishonor God, that displease God, that cause a separation in your fellowship with God when they go unconfessed. You see, the blood of Jesus Christ satisfied your sin debt and mine so that you wouldn't have to bear the brunt of the wrath of God. And that I'd encourage you to leave this place this morning and live in a way that's Christ-like daily, putting to death the things of this earth that come from within, that defile you from within, so that you will live in a way that points others who are going to face the wrath of God to point them to Jesus Christ and the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Let's get serious about putting to death the earthly in us. Let's get serious about getting the junk out of our garage, you know. And may your prayer and mine be that of Psalm 51, verse 10. You know it. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Is that your prayer? Would you make it your prayer with me this morning? Let's bow our heads together. Father in heaven, we do come before you this morning. And I pray that it is the prayer of your people. As we've gathered here to study your word and be challenged and encouraged and built up for the week that lies ahead of us to live for you, that we would truly come before you, surrender to you, and say, Oh God, create in me a clean heart. Oh God, you know the wretch that I am within. I ask you to purge me of sin. Help me to hate the sin in my life. Oh God, create in me a clean heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.